0: My own personal mic fixer. <laughs> His name is Mike. So when you're, uh, I want you to imagine yourself running a marathon. I know it's pretty hard for you to imagine. Some of you, <laughs> do the best you can. And uh, you're on your eighth mile. You're running the Boston Marathon. You're on your eighth. Mile, okay, and there's 26.2 miles in a marathon, just so you know. Uh, So you have a little ways to go. And imagine if someone comes and you hear them say these words they say, You're almost there, just around the corner. Would that be encouraging to you? No, it would probably discourage you. And it might be responsible for you stopping and saying, I am done with this. But when you're on the 26th mile, you have 0.2 to go. And that 0.2 is a long ways. Right? I know. <laughs> and someone says, it's just around the corner. Right? What do you do? Your, your, your shoulders straighten up a little bit. You start lifting up your knees a little higher. That makes you go faster. <laughs> and, and it's encouraging. Right? There's there's a real encouraging word that is necessary, isn't there, at a time like that? A real, legitimate, truthful encouragement is needed. Do you need encouragement today to continue to live by faith? Do you need encouragement, or are you okay? Do you have it down pat? Do you got this? Can you tough it out on your own? Well, I want to tell you this, that God says in his word that you need encouragement. And God has the encouragement that you need in his word for you. God is in the business of encouraging his people. And that is why when you look throughout the Bible, God's people who are living for him, are encouraged over and over and over again. God is pouring out like, like, a, like a like a, faucet, <laughs> like, like a, a, a bubbling water overflowing with encouragement for you in Christ Jesus. And one of the reasons we need this encouragement is because of the, the age we live in. We live in the already and not yet, don't we? We have seen a glimpse of the glory of God. We've seen a glimpse, a a foretaste of the glory that awaits us. And yet everything around us, including ourselves, is dying. And we are helpless to do anything. Everything is falling apart. Our lives are not being pieced together the way we would have envisioned them. And as the people of God, we've seen a glimpse of his glory, but sometimes it is so hard to live in this world where we see so little of the fullness of what we long to see. Right? Imagine being in exile in Babylon, knowing that your God is the greatest of all gods, and yet here you are in captivity, in chains, to, a, to a, what appears to be a greater kingdom of false gods. Uh, th- there is this already and not yet <laughs> that we are in. There's a tension there. So what does God do for us in this tension that we live in? He encourages us. Woe to any of us <laughs> who try to run this race without daily drinking of the encouragement that God gives to us. How, how do we think we're ever going to finish this race if we are not daily drinking our fill of God's encouragement? There is absolutely no way you can ever imagine to finish this race and to finish it well if you are not daily drinking to your fill the encouragement of God's word. That's what it is designed to do for you to enable you to finish well. So some of us are languishing and struggling and wondering, what is wrong with me? And we are not drinking deeply of God's word. And therein is the problem, isn't it? We can't do it without God's word of encouragement. And he gives us all the encouragement we need. And it's all found in Christ Jesus, isn't it? Now, believers should be encouraged, right? Whereas unbelievers have no reason for encouragement because they are in the most pitiful state. right? But because of the time we're living in, sometimes things can, be, can look a little backwards, can't they? Believers can be the most discouraged people in the world and unbelievers can appear like the most encouraged people in the world. right? And both of these situations need something, don't they? They need to be informed by the truth. They need the word of God to speak into their situations. And my responsibility is to work through God's word to bring the truth to bear on both situations. I want to discourage you if you're not in Christ. (laughs) Because that is the truth of your condition. And you have no reason for encouragement. And I want to encourage you if you're in Christ. Because you have every reason for encouragement. And hopefully if you're not in Christ, you will run to him. And this passage, by the way, is encouragement to believers. This is filled with encouragement to believers. In verses 1-2, through God gives all of his servants, meaning his people, those who are under his covenant, encouragement to continue to walk in faith. And God encourages those who are walking in justice and doing righteousness. That's a continual phrase there. The continually walking in justice, continually walking in faithfulness. To continue to walk the path of service. To keep going. And the encouragement is based on the fact that God's salvation is at hand. Because of the hope that is ahead of you. Listen to these words. Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness, for soon, or because, or for, soon my salvation will come and my righteousness be revealed. You know, salvation is referred to in a number of ways throughout Scriptures, and sometimes it's good for us just to be reminded of that. Sometimes it's referred to something that has happened right now I am saved. It's also something that happened. Before time began, for God's elect, right? And it's something that's going to happen in the future, right? It's something that's going to happen in the future. And sometimes the Bible says, you will be saved. And he's speaking to believers, right? There's a sense of the fullness of our salvation that we will experience one day in the future. And this is what he's talking about here. Although here he's talking about the coming of Christ, right? The first coming of Christ. The Messiah who is coming. He will bear witness. He will reveal the righteousness of God. He will establish the righteousness of God for his people. And this is the salvation that God was calling his people to continue to live in righteousness and justice. Because it was coming. This was not deliverance from Babylon that he's talking about. That is not the salvation he's talking about here. That would be a pretty poor picture of salvation if that is ultimately what he was talking about. The salvation we are waiting for is his final return, isn't it? We are awaiting with, with longing and anticipation for the return of Christ. When God will, will will punish his enemies in righteousness and deliver his people into the fullness of their salvation in righteousness. Right? And we will see the fullness of his righteousness, just as we saw it at the cross when Jesus died and he rose again. So we will see it in its fullness when he returns. And this should motivate us to continue to walk in justice and righteousness. Right? You know, we need to have a reminder of what awaits us if we are to be encouraged to continue to walk in faith. Uh, we cannot continue as if we're running this marathon without having the end in sight, without knowing what awaits us. We need that encouragement if we're to run well. God also encourages us servants who are described as those who hold fast and keep the Sabbath, not profaning it, and who keep their hand from doing any evil, to continue to live that way because they are the blessed ones. Listen to verse 2. Blessed is the man who does this, and the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and keeps his hand from doing evil. These are the truly blessed ones. And they should be encouraged to continue to live this way because of the blessing that is on their lives. You know, this is very similar to Psalm 1, isn't it? We say, blessed is the man. (laughs) And he continues to talk about the blessed man. Who walks not in the counsel of the wicked or stands in the way of sinners, right? Or sits in the seat of mockers. He's talking about the blessed one. And I'll say one thing about this that I think is really important for us to understand as believers. That what God is calling us to here is not a kill joy, is it? God is not trying to take away from us our joy. He is not trying to make us miserable by calling us to follow him. In fact, God is offering us every delight and every pleasure that is true and that is eternal. The world offers us a bunch of fake, empty promises that cannot deliver. And they only lead to destruction and death of ourselves and everyone else we love. But God is the one who brings us blessing. Right? And God is the one who brings us salvation. And is found in nowhere else. And so we need to understand that just as Adam and Eve in the garden, they were offered and they were told, God is withholding something good from you. And that is the very essence of sin, isn't it? It's saying God is withholding what is best from us. That God is trying to keep us from what is good. Right? And so we take our own path and our own way. And we trust in our own goodness and our own understanding. And all we bring is death and destruction on ourselves. But God is the cosmic joy giver. He has all the joy. He has all the delight. He has all the blessings. Right? He has all salvation in himself. All right. Well, that's all good, right? But the problem is, there seems to be a barrier here for some of us, is that this can fail to encourage us if we don't understand what it means to live this way. If we don't understand what they are talking about here, right? These promises and these blessings, the promise of salvation and and the present being in God's blessing, only belong to those who bear this character. Right? That's what it's saying. So what is it that characterizes them so we can be encouraged by this? Well, they are those who keep justice and do righteousness. And what does that mean? I mean, most of us could give an answer for that. The problem is, the world's idea of justice and righteousness is not always God's idea of justice and righteousness. And who determines what is just and what is right? It is definitely not the world. God is the one who determines what is just and what is right. We have such a mixed up world around us. <laughs> the news Everything is telling us this is justice, this is right. We need to go back to God and we need to let him define what is right and what is wrong. He is the author of it. He is the one who defines it, right? Not us. And so living this way is simply reflecting God's character to the world. It's bearing witness to the kingdom of God with our lives. That's what it looks like to walk in justice and righteousness. It's to bear witness to the character of our God, right? And the way we treat each other and the way we live. But notice these really strange words here to us. They also keep the Sabbath, they do not profane it, and keep their hand from doing any evil. Now this sounds foreign to us, and very strange to us. But I want to hopefully help clarify a little bit of what this would mean for us today, right? What does this mean for us? Well, you see, the Sabbath is not primarily about not working as we would imagine it. You could do no work and completely fail to keep the Sabbath, right? You could work, on the other hand, doing good and keep the Sabbath. The Sabbath was rather for doing justice and righteousness and not evil. Notice that. The connection between the first part of the verse and the second part of the verse. Justice and righteousness is not to be separated from keeping the Sabbath. And in a paradoxical way, one should be busy restoring justice and righteousness. And so if you're not keeping The Sabbath, you are not living in a just and righteous way. And one way to describe the Sabbath is that it is a celebration of God's finished work of creation and recreation. It is celebrating entering into the finished work of God. His saving work. His creating work. We enter his rest by ceasing to do our work... Ceasing to save ourselves, ceasing to do the work that only God can do, and resting in his finished work that he has accomplished himself and can only accomplish himself. That is true and eternal rest. That is truly keeping the Sabbath. So keeping the Sabbath would therefore require keeping God at his rightful place in the center of our very being. It's a lifestyle of resting in God and his work. He is to be at the center of our lives and perhaps resting is the best way to explain what that means. It's reordering, (laughs) reorganizing life around the central reality of God as we were created to be organized or, ordering our lives around the fact that God is creator the redeemer and he is the covenant keeper that he is the one who keeps the promises that he is the one who creates that he is the one who saves and we are the ones who are created <laughs> we are the ones who are saved we are the ones who are who the promises of God are kept for He is the one who does the works. And as one person said, it's kind of a dress rehearsal of the final rest all God's people will enter into in the new heaven and the new earth. And it's not just for Sundays. It's for every single day of our lives. Our whole lives are to be devoted to God. Not just one day and not just a few hours. But our whole lives are to be Resting in the finished work of God, enjoying the Sabbath that Christ has brought us into. You can look at Hebrews 4, verse 10, which we don't have time to do to understand that better. Now, instead of encouraging you, this might make you feel crushed under the weight of what God is requiring for you to do. You might say, I cannot possibly reach the standard that God is calling me to reach. I cannot reach the the hope, the standard that gives me hope, the standard that makes me a blessed person that's being presented to me. This is too hard for me to do. And if this discourages you, it means you're looking at salvation in the wrong way. (laughs) We often turn salvation on its head. You know, if someone says to you, when you ask them, are you saved? And they say, I am trying to be saved. They are completely missing the point. They do not understand what it means to be saved. They have no idea what it means. Or at least they can't express it. This is not saying you're trying to earn your salvation here. As if it was based on works. It is impossible to do that. Not one of us could ever live a life of justice and righteousness. Not any of us could ever enter into the Sabbath of God. Not any of us could ever live by faith, which is really what that's saying to do. Live by faith. None of us could do that. What this is talking about is rather a changed life that comes by the grace of God through faith in His finished work. This is the fruit of faith that comes through trusting in Christ Jesus and His work. God works through us to make us into people who are who are constantly throughout our lives growing into people who reflect the righteousness and justice of God, right? Who are being transformed into his image. God is the one who saves us himself. He does the work of justification completely on his own power and his own activity. And he works through us sanctification, He makes us into his image. And he is doing that for every single one of his children. He is making them into his image. And that should encourage us. It should encourage our faith and remind us and and build our faith up that yes, there is a hope for us. As we see God making us into his image. We should be encouraged by that. As we start thinking the way God thinks. And we start loving what God loves. That should encourage us. When we start living the way God lives, even though it's totally contrary to the way, way the world thinks. And so we shouldn't be discouraged when the world hates us and the world denies what we say. We should be encouraged when we're following God and we love him. That's not because of our goodness, but because of God's transforming grace inside of us. So it's not a perfect love. It's not a perfect justice. It's not a perfect righteousness, but it's a becoming more and more like him. And it's a life of repentance, Right? You see, if Israel displayed for us anything, it displayed for us our inability to bear the fruits of righteousness and justice on our own. It was that very thing that was their failure and that led them into exile. If you remember, Isaiah 5, verse 7 speaks on that. It was their failure to reflect God to the world in his image. Chapters 1 through 39 were all about showing us how they failed to fulfill God's purpose for them. We are Israel. We are those people. They are a drama that's reflecting us and who we are. Injustice will ruin every single run of us. But neither can we produce the righteousness of God's character that's required of us. We could never become good enough to be saved. But the good news is that God has provided a Savior who saves us by His power through faith and transforms us into people who reflect His image. He saves us in a righteous way. He saves us in such a way that He, that he does it in justice and righteousness and declares us righteous and just in His sight and is making us people who are just and righteous, and will one day glorify us. An amazing salvation that God is working. God gives us a heart that desires to do his will. And we start reflecting him and we live a life of repentance. That is the grace of God. And Isaiah chapter 6, I think, gives us this incredible pattern of how to become a servant of God. Right? A, a person who reflects Sabbath keeping, <laughs> you might say. A person who reflects justice and righteousness. Remember, Isaiah saw the glory of God. And he was crushed under the weight of his sin when he saw the glory of God. But God graciously provided what he needed. God cleansed him rather than judging him. Right? And we know that that judgment fell on his son, Jesus. And so remember, God asked for volunteers (laughs) who will go for me? And what does Isaiah say? Did he even have an option? He didn't. He had no option. <laughs> when you see God, you will say, here am I, send me. <laughs> That's why every believer is a servant of God. And whether or not we go through a different country, we are servants of God. If you're not a servant of God, you're not a believer. Everyone who truly sees God is someone who repents and turns to God and follows him and loves him. Not perfectly. But just like Isaiah, that is the pattern of every believer. And it's the pattern of Israel that we see. It's almost like the sentence of the whole book. In one sentence, the theme of the whole book, the pattern of the whole book. In one sentence. There is an irresistible call to follow God. And so we say, here am I, send me. (laughs) That wasn't because of Isaiah's goodness. It was because he saw God. And experienced his grace and his mercy. And there was no other option but God send me, even to do the most incredible task of preaching to a people who would not in his lifetime repent <laughs> and turn to him. Is this encouraging to you? Does this salvation belong to you? Are you the blessed one? Are you awaiting for the righteous salvation of God? Because of what the servant has done? Well, I hope you are encouraged. And if you're not, look to Christ and be saved. Well, there's another barrier that might keep us from being encouraged. For some of us who should be encouraged by this, the words might not sound that encouraging at all. You might be characterized by these things you might see the fruit of god in your life but feel excluded from god's promises and blessings for other exterior reasons you might not feel accepted by god because of other reasons if this is you then god wants to encourage you to remove the barrier to show you that you are not excluded at all this passage should unleash the joy and encouragement like nothing else can for such people like you. The question we're asking is whether encouragement that we just looked at belongs to everyone without exception who are believers regardless of any other external factors. And what I mean by that is those who are under his covenant, those who are living by faith. Does this encouragement belong to you even if other factors appear, external factors, to deny it? Well, verse 2 gives us two examples, kind of cases for believers who might otherwise think themselves excluded based on external factors who God says you are included. (laughs) To show that the blessings of God, the salvation of God, is for all who are living by faith. Both the foreigner and the eunuch. Listen to verse 3. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. We might think of the foreigner as being an outcast from God's blessings. At least not fully incorporated into the blessings of God, right? They were not Jews. They were foreigners. They were outside of the people of God. And so his ancestry might make him feel separated from God's favor. In fact, Deuteronomy 23, verse 1 through 8, the Gentiles, specifically the Amorites and the Moabites, were not to have any place in the congregation of the worship of God's people in the temple. They were barred from worship in the assembly. Right? How about the eunuch? Well, the eunuch might feel himself cursed from the blessings of God. The eunuch might have felt himself a second-class citizen who could not contribute to the society because he could not bear children. And to some, he would have been considered a curse, right? If you follow God's word through his people, it was through children that God blessed them, didn't he? Also in Deuteronomy 23, verse 3, they're prohibited in joining the worshiping assembly. So how are we to understand what appears to be conflicting and contradictory words here? One place says they can't gather and worship. Another place says they are accepted. Well, God's people were to be representatives of him to the world, weren't they? And so there were these pagan influences all around them that could so easily infiltrate God's people and and really destroy the picture that God was giving of who he was to the world through his people. And so certain barriers were brought up to keep the picture and to show the world who God's was, to preserve the holiness of God through his people. Pagan rites and thinking were not to be mixed with God's other holiness. And the restrictions were to preserve the truth his people were to represent. Otherwise, they would misrepresent God to the world. And although these laws controlled the worship, they were never meant to exclude genuine converts converts from entering into his covenant people now let me make that clear and we know that from Rahab and we know that from Ruth they were accepted into God's people now there were restrictions but they were not excluded from God's people the point of the law was not to crush but to save right although it was to crush to show them we needed to be saved by Christ and so in that sense yes <laughs> but another sense it was to point us to the one who could save and so this is the point i want us to think of it kind of as a picture god is giving us a picture so it is not contradicting himself for god to say these things now that christ has come we now have the full picture and what i i, I should say even beyond a picture we have, the, the, the picture is fading away. We don't need the picture anymore, right? And so these restrictions are done away with. So this is not contradicting at all. This is saying these things are starting to fade away. And after the fourth servant song, we start to see the seeds of all these restrictions, these barriers are starting to fade away, aren't they? The servant is going to remove the barriers. They are no longer necessary. The picture is no longer essential. The picture is no longer needed. Now the reality has come. And that's what Paul meant when he said there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. All are one in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3 verse 28. The middle wall of partition was coming tumbling down. According to Ephesians 2 verse 14 through 15. And this means that the full blessings of the kingdom of God are upon all, without exception, who come to God his way through faith. And then in verse 4 through 7, God expounds verse 3, doesn't he? How the eunuch, the cripple, and the foreigner who is outsider are not excluded from the promises of God, but are included. Amazingly, God says that the eunuch has greater blessings Who are without children than those who had children. They are not missing anything at all. Isn't that incredibly encouraging? The one who is withheld children, the one who is not able to have children, who might otherwise feel like an outsider among God's people, God says, You have greater blessings than were you to have children. Incredible. Because Christ is greater. Because Christ is greater. And your connection to him is greater than having children. Yes, there are blessings to having children. But there's also a blessing to singleness and barrenness. If you're in Christ. The problem is is that they certainly would not have had a name for themselves without children. And so the idea here is that they would have been forgotten by the community. But God says he will give them a monument that is greater than children. <laughs> an everlasting, eternal name that shall not be cut off from God's presence, which is greater. And this monument will be in God's house, in his walls. What an incredible promise of God. God. For those who would otherwise feel less than and disproportionately than the other people. It will therefore be better than were they to have sons and daughters. Christ is better than children. Remember the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8 verse 27 through 39. This is an example of this. Is there anything good for me? Does, this, uh, uh, does this, these promises belong to me as well? When everything seems to be cut off and there seems to be no hope. And the answer is yes, yes. It does if you are in Christ. This is the fulfillment of Isaiah 55 verse, verse 1 we are told that the barren woman will have more children than the fertile woman because of the servant. This means that those who remain single in Christ or can't have children who are faithful to God are promised blessings better than the blessings of marriage and children. Children are a blessing But those who are not given the privilege of having them are of no less off than those who do because of Christ. This means that the gift of singleness needs to be upheld and encouraged among us. And we need to not look at them as if they were second class citizens. If you're single or you can't have children, don't think any less of yourself. We can think of ourselves that we are somehow missing out on the blessings. But those who are devoted to God are not missing anything. They get something greater than children. And this requires faith, doesn't it? This also means that we should never look down on those who are in these categories and treat them as if they were inferior spiritual beings in our midst. We should never look down on such people. They are valuable members of God's kingdom as much as anyone else is. And God has a special care and a special love for them. God also says to his servants who are not Jews, that he has blessings for them greater than had they been Jews. They are not missing out on anything for being a Gentile. And we see this in verses 6 through 7. The foreigner here is described as someone united with God in faith. Notice the same words there. That they love his name. They keep the Sabbath. They center their lives on God. They embrace his covenant. Hold fast to it. This is a heart commitment to God. This is living by faith. They come to him by grace through faith. In him. And God says that He has something for such a foreigner that is better than were they ethnic Jews. It is far better. Now, there is absolutely nothing wrong with being a Jew. What a great blessing there is in being a Jew. We read that in Romans 9, verse 1 through 2. But it is infinitely better to be united with God than to have the greatest nationality behind your name. Amen. What is better than being brought into God's presence? having full access to God himself. Isn't that what it says here? Zion, the holy mountain, is not real estate. It's the presence of God. That's what it's talking about there. Such people are welcome into God's presence. What is better than being made joyful in his house of prayer? A vibrant, joyful member. By the way, it makes no sense to be a somber, (laughs) distraught worshiper of God. God is making us joyful worshipers. And that's what we are supposed to be. And that's what God is doing. The house of God is not a drudgery for believers, but a joy. Where we come together and worship with loud voices and praise in our hearts. What is better than being accepted? Your offerings and sacrifices accepted before God. This is not talking about the, 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 the animal sacrifices here. This is the way they would have understood being accepted by God. And we know that ultimately it's Christ who makes us accepted. But they would not have understood without this terminology of sacrificial system. And so yes, they will be accepted. Their sins will be forgiven. They will be brought into the presence of God. We have access to God in prayer. We can talk to Him, relate to Him, fellowship with Him with joy. And this is the purpose of God, right? That His house shall be a house of prayer for all people. This is the true temple of God where He is worshipped by Jew and Gentile who bow to Him with joy if this is how God views such people then how should we receive each other you know this is important for us to understand how ungodlike for us to look down on each other how ungodlike it is for us to not want each other to have the fullness of joy that God brings imagine if we were to look at each other and not want anything but the fullness of joy that comes from worshiping God We should want that for each other. We should work for that for each other. We should be encouraging each other in the faith with the gospel of Jesus Christ because that is what's going to bring fervent, joyful worship from our hearts and we should want nothing more from each other than that. That is what it means to live in love with each other and loving each other the way God calls us to. That's what it means to make disciples. Do you rejoice with joy encourage those around you to rejoice with joy in God? Even those who differ with you in the externals. Do you love those around you? Do you show grace to those who are hardest to love? Because those are the people that we are to be showing grace to and loving and encouraging. We often take this to mean that Others are to look at me with acceptance and love, you know? Isn't that the way we often do it? And it's very common in the church for people to look around us, I do this too, and to say, but people are not accepting of me, people are not loving of me in this church. But that's not what it's saying, and that's not what the Bible is calling us to do. The Bible is calling us to be the loving ones. The Bible is calling us to be the accepting ones. The Bible is calling us to be the ones that cause others to rejoice, And how easily can we be the problem when we seclude ourselves because we say no one in the church is loving me and we're missing the point and don't understand the gospel if that's the way we respond to it. And one other main point here. This is not saying that God unconditionally accepts everyone just as they are. Can I not emphasize that enough What a terrible thing to say that God accepts everyone unconditionally the way they are. That is totally unbiblical. But sadly, that is the way some people portray the gospel and the way God looks at people. Notice here, that is the opposite of what's being said here. You have to ignore everything the Bible says to say that. There is a condition for being accepted by God. And that is coming to God his way. It's bowing our knees to God. God does not love everyone unconditionally, and it is anti gospel to ever say that to anyone. It is destructive to the gospel message and is rebellion against God to say that. He loves all who are in his Son with eternal, unchanging love. <laughs> That's what you can say to people. Otherwise, you're his enemy, and he is loving you by keeping you alive another moment so that you would turn to him. God gives the great news that he has more to gather than merely the outcast of Israel. And that's the last verse here. The Lord God who gathers the outcast of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those who are already gathered. Awesome. This is awesome. Remember, Jesus said this. I have those who are not of this fold in John 10, verse 16. Not only the Jews, but also the Gentiles. That that is us today. This should open the floodgates of our encouragement. This should give us great joy and should cause us to respond with praise to God. God breaks down the external barriers that might otherwise keep us from receiving encouragement from the gospel. We need to see each other as God does. We need to see ourselves as God does when you respond, not by creating barriers that are not there, but by loving each other and serving each other and accepting each other if we are in Christ. And we should be encouraged by God in the gospel. That is the right view of the gospel is to be encouraged by it if you're in Christ. Oh, that every believer here would be encouraged in the Lord. A gospel-encouraged church is a healthy church. Encourage your soul, believer, That is what you need to do. But encourage it in God. Oh, that every believer here would learn to become an encourager of every other believer. Become good at encouraging each other with the gospel. That is what you're supposed to do with your life. That is the business that you are called to do, believer. We need also to discourage the false encouragement of those who are not believers. That is the most loving thing you can do. Pop the baseless balloon of unbelievers. Encouragement. That is the most loving thing you can do. How many people go around saying they pray to prayer but have no interest in the things of God? Should they receive encouragement from the gospel? Would God have encouraged them from this passage? Absolutely not. Is that living in justice and righteousness? in relying on God as the center of our lives? No, it's not. We need to help people see that they are living in falsehood, that their encouragement has no basis if it's not in Christ. And that is why the gospel begins with the bad news, the bad news that we are outside of God's favor. And that is the only way to present the gospel accurately, is to say the bad news That's the only way to love people and to bring them to the good news of God's grace and mercy. The only encouragement to be found is the encouragement that is in Christ. He is infinitely encouraging to those who are in him. I'll I'll leave you with this quote. So don't tell yourself God won't receive you, speaking to believers. You might not have a church background. You might feel awkward in church. You might have deeply personal reasons you'd rather not talk about about for for hesitating. But God wants you to tell yourself this. The one thing that matters to him is that you rest in Christ and choose what pleases him and hold fast to him. If Christ has your heart, God says he will give you a place in his home better than sons and daughters born there who don't treat Christ as their everything. So come on in. To God, insiderness is no guarantee and outsiderness is no obstacle. Let's pray. Dear Father, Lord, we thank you, God, for your amazing grace. Lord, none of us deserve to be an insider. None of us deserve to be inside your blessings None of us deserve to receive your abundant and merciful grace that pours out on your people like a river. But God, here we are. And Lord, we thank you for your encouragement. Lord, you want us to worship you. And that only comes through understanding the great, the great position we are in because of your mercy and love towards us. And so, God, we rejoice today. We rejoice in the greatness of your love for us. We rejoice in the great position we are in. Not because of us, but because of you. And, Lord, I pray that if there are any who are outside of your favor, I pray that if there are any in here who are, who are standing on false security right now, who think they are good in a good place but are not, Lord, I pray that they would run to you for salvation. I pray that they would repent And bow their knees to the living God. And find that in you is abundant blessing. In you is eternal salvation. In you is every goodness to be found. And Lord, may we rejoice this morning together. As we celebrate our great Savior and the salvation that you have brought. May we do that for the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.